If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. Hello, listeners. Just a quick note before the podcast gets started today. At the moment, the IAI team are embarking on an exciting new podcast project. You might have seen it on our Twitter or social media feeds. It's called UniTalks. The point of this new project is to demystify university. What we're doing is taking students from underrepresented backgrounds right into the heart of top universities so that they can interview leading academics from a range of disciplines. We've done a couple of interviews already and let's just say I had no idea that bananas contained antimatter. Now, to enable this project to go ahead, we really need your support. Maybe you have a niece, nephew, son or daughter about to apply to university. Maybe you've worked in education or with kids. Whatever it is, we'd love for you to show your support by donating to our crowdfunder for this new project. And to do that, you can visit crowdfunder.co.uk and search UniTalks. We want to continue to create content featuring the world's leading thinkers, and we want it to be for free, and we want it to be for everybody. So, really, anything you can give, we'd be delighted to have. Thanks. Welcome to Philosophy for Our Time. Facts are assertions. From the Institute of Art and Ideas. We examine every aspect of contemporary thinking. What is love? Is it real? Is democracy illusory and incoherent? Finding cracks in the way we understand the world. I think there is a crisis of values. Realism has failed. We debate the way forward with today's leading thinkers. We're all trying to understand what the hell is going on. A live podcast production from the Institute of Art and Ideas. Uh, the panel, we have a, a great panel. We have Nigel Dodd on my right here, author of The Social Life of Money, editor-in-chief of the British Journal of Sociology. Nigel is a professor at the London School of Economics. Uh, Sarah Bird on the far left there, activist and entrepreneur. Sarah is now CEO of Time Banking UK, overseeing its growth into one of the largest time banking organisations in Europe. And here on my left is Isabella Kaminska, reporter for the Financial Times, specialising in monetary and energy policy. She also has a degree in ancient history, her interest in economics being sparked by what it says, it's, I think this is in quotes, a childhood fascination with the economic reforms of the Roman emperors. Strange child. <laughs> well, it's very nice to meet you. I have to think you are the first person I've ever met who could say that. <laughs> Anyhow, Isabella, moving on from the Roman experience, why, to give us, fill us in on how money as we know it's developed. The Romans are really misunderstood, first of all. 
uh, the life of Brian did try to help that out, but um, <laughs> fundamentally there is, especially now, this um, really a bit of bad-mouthing about Diocletian, which is, you know, that he caused hyperinflation in the, in the Roman <laughs> Empire. The standard argument is that he debased the currency and because of that the Roman Empire fell. In reality, the Roman Empire was already failing <laughs> and it had reached kind of its limits in terms of how much it could expand. And on account of that, um, it was the economic condition that ended up creating a kind of hyperinflationary environment. There just weren't enough goods and services and slaves and whatever <laughs> to um, justify the amount of money that was in circulation. And that really is fundamentally what money represents. It represents a claim on all the surplus goods, services, etc., in, in society. And, and people will either take that claim at face value or they won't. This, this panel was sort of set up as, as arguing, well, gold, you know, money used to be backed by gold. And now that it's not backed by anything, you know, it's backed by this fantasy. I would argue, uh, actually argue to, to the contrary, because the Romans didn't really trust gold. Gold was only for use of strangers, uh, people they didn't know. And it was a bit of a joke, really. It was like, hey, these guys are coming. We don't know them. They, they kind of value this gold stuff. We'll give them that. In the domestic economy, there were banks, there were you know, bonds between buyers and sellers all the time, and it was the, the credit in the society which actually helped to build and empower Rome. Um, so I would argue, as a result, that gold is much more arbitrary in value than, say, a bond where you know exactly what you're going to get over how many years. Somebody may default on you, true, but it doesn't change that you can manage your risk. Mm -hmm. Nigel, is that, is that your version of the history of money? What's yours? Uh, more or less. I mean, that there are so many different accounts of the history of money, and it, it, it's kind of a circular argument, uh, in a sense, because where you look in, in history, whether you look for the earliest coins or you look for some evidence of a debt relationship, partly depends on how you define money, and how you define money dictates where you look, and where, what you find then dictates how you define money. So you go round and round. Broadly in the literature, you have two key theories about the origins of money, and one is pretty much uh, what Izzy was talking about, which is the barter theory. Money effectively emerged spontaneously within communities as a solution to what's known in economic circles as a double coincidence of wants problem. Anyone that's ever tried to swap something where someone knows what that means, exactly as Izzy described, when you've got something, somebody else uh, has what you want, but they don't want what you've got, so somehow you need to find a solution. And often a token might emerge uh, as, uh, as a kind of intermediary for value. That's one theory. Another theory uh, is that money originated uh, as a form of payment, usually associated with the payments of debts uh, or, or tribute to rulers and kings and so on. So that's sort of known as the debt theory. And basically, if you put monetary scholars into a room, they'll pretty much divide up into those who advocate the barter theory, and most of those actually are economists and those who advocate the debt theory. And they're either heterodox economists or they're sociologists or historians or some other. And often they kind of fight and get very cross uh, with each other. Museum curators are, are caught in between. And, and in most museums, you'll find lots of coins on display. And that's obviously because that's what museum curators can do. You know, coins are material things. It's actually hard to curate a history of debt, actually. Or you can use tally sticks and things like that. So, 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 so it's complex. So, so in, in layman's terms, is there any significance in the world we inhabit today 
that you might attach to either of those yeah, explanations. Totally. I mean, if you if you support the barter theory, then money for you is essentially a thing, uh, and a thing that has intrinsic value, and you need to keep that thing scarce, and you need to protect its value. In other words, you're German. Uh, <laughs> if if you believe in the the debt theory. Uh, then actually money is a social relationship. It's a claim and it takes value um, from being in circulation. And, you can, and in fact, by protecting its value and holding it back, you undermine uh, its, its value ultimately. But in other words, you're Greek. Uh, and that effectively, you can see a lot of monetary debates dividing up along these lines. It's actually fascinating. If you go to most mainstream economics courses, Money is a big hole in economics. Uh, when I first arrived at the LSE, I was told in no uncertain terms back in 1996, don't you dare teach a course on money. That's the economists that do that. Well, actually, it, it, money is a massive hole in economic theory. You won't find many economists that talk about money. But when they do, they'll teach the barter theory. Most central banks will also, if you go to the websites of most central banks, you say origins of money, they'll also teach this barter theory. The Bank of England did until about 18 months ago, when suddenly it went, oh, look, there's another theory and we've got to give credence to can, that can you just just help um, <coughs> yeah of course it's me i'm sure C can you just help me out with the difference in the germans and the greeks i didn't quite understand why it, why because of one theory you seek to protect its value right and because the other you don't because surely in any case if i've if i've in inverted commas earned it if it's a representation of my effort what i've put into the the value yeah. i've created then I need to maintain the value of it one way, either directly or in, in terms of its exchange value, at least, right. whether I'm Greek or German. Well, if you think that this is, say, money, and you think that its value somehow is in the object, and this is where gold becomes such a fetish, and Izzy's right about, absolutely spot on about gold, then really you don't want too many of these moving around. You know, the more cups there are, the more they lose their value. Well, unless, uh, unless the whole cake has got bigger. In which case, you could have more, we could all have more cups. Sure, but... but, but well, that's You're what still working with a basic zero-sum game. Well, sorry, well, except that's what happens in economic development, isn't it? So you know, everyone gets richer, more power. Right, but you assume that there is a finite supply of money, that money is one cake, and that the more we slice it up, the more its value goes down. The other theory doesn't look at money like this. It looks at money as a circulating relationship. And in, according to that theory, and this is basically Keynes, it, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science, it's, it's, it's John Maynard Keynes. And according to that theory, money gets its value from circulating. And the more that it circulates, the more value that it has. So if you, you can pump more money into the economy and in fact boost the economy and boost the value of money in that way. So it is basically German versus Greeks. I mean, the German solution to the Eurozone crisis is to protect the value of the euro, to cut down on public services, to stop spending. The Greek solution is, is different. And uh, you know, not that I would like to take uh, sides on this, but I, I guess I'm Greek, ultimately. Do you accept that broadly, that view? I, um, first the of all, I have to say that um, I actually completely agree with Nigel. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I err on the side of the debt theory of money. However, I do think that whereas money originates from debt, we ended up using tokens as representation yes. of those debts. Yeah. But Nigel's 100%, you know, I'm 100% with his view that money is a circular phenomenon and we benefit as a society from the fact that we can make these promises to each other and if it wasn't for that we wouldn't have economies of scale so the problem yeah. with gold really is that it's more of a hot potato type of money and so it's a zero-sum game like you don't have a growing economy and that's why you had in history these incidences of things like the cross of gold uh, argument where americans felt 
their economic livelihoods were being constrained by the fact that there just wasn't enough gold going around. And, and if you just have this token hot potato effect, all the gold ends up sort of flowing to the producers. Yeah. And the producers, well, what do they do? They're the ones that are producing. So you have to have a redistribution of wealth for the society to grow. Gold bugs always quote Adam Smith at me, which I find really ironic because what he says is this, and I do agree with it's it. A gold bug, someone who supports. The a idea gold bug that, yeah, is gold like they, they don't. It's a pejorative term, though. They don't. Okay. They don't. Yeah, like I'm sure. Um, so this is the quote that I just I really love it. It says, um, "The gold and silver money which circulates in any country may very properly be compared to a highway." which, while it circulates and carries to market all the grass and corn of the country, produces itself not a single pile of either. What he's saying is um, <laughs> gold is only, gold and money is only useful when it's moving. Yeah. If, it's, if it's stagnant, it, it, it doesn't help yeah. anybody. I, I say that to my bank manager. <laughs> um, and uh, they rarely respond. Sarah, <laughs> well, what, what, we'll come back to your particular thing in a second. What's your view about money and the system? Well, I, it's got me thinking because in, in time banking, we don't have a coin, a paper currency. It's, it's all virtual. So just, just, uh, apologies if I've missed Sorry. it. So again, in layman's terms, if you can, just explain how it works. So how a time bank works is that there will be a base somewhere in the community, yeah. a community centre, a, a shop, yeah. wherever it might be. You will have somebody there acting as some kind of coordinator yeah. because there is an element of safeguarding yeah. that happens. Right. Local people, everybody here would go along to the time bank. I'd like to join, please. And there is a joining process where our safeguarding um, rules and policies kick right. in. So once we're happy that you are all who you say you are, John's a very nice chap. Yes, he'll be great in the time bank then you are welcomed into the time bank to start giving and receiving dozens and hundreds of ways that you, so, you can so, think okay, of. So, so I, I've signed up and all the rest of it. Yep. What, what I say, I can give two hours? Or yep, so we would say, what, would you, what, what, what are things that you like to do in your spare time that you might like to help somebody else with or share with somebody? Okay, so if I say I like gardening, yes, for argument's sake. So that sake. would go down, yeah, so that's I like something gardening. to offer. For simply say, all I do is gardening, just have that to yep, keep it simple. Yep, yep, yep. So what do I say? I say, and I'm prepared to give X hours a week. Is that what, is that what I do? Not necessarily, but you know, if somebody needed some gardening doing, we might give you a call to say, there's um, you know, Mary down the street, would right. you help her rake some leaves? And you'd say, yes, I'd be delighted, and off okay. you go. So, and I, but I've put, I've, you I've don't made have to pledge a number of hours a week. I don't? No. Okay, so but supposing I do 10 hours for argument's okay. sake. Can you get yep. 10 hours back? Right, then what, then, what, then what can I do? Then we would say to you, is there anything that you might need help with at home in the garden? Car right. wash, dog walked, some okay. shopping perhaps, anything that you feel even maybe you don't like doing but you might like somebody to help you with. Or learn a new, uh, play a musical instrument, a new language, anything. Right. And so then you'll pair me up with someone else who's joined the scheme who says I'm prepared to teach someone to play the piano. Yes. Right? And then I get 10 hours of piano tuition. Yes. As it were, in exchange yes. for whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly okay. So no money changes hands. No. No, no, no notes exist. And your hour of gardening equals the hour of piano tuition so it's one you're hour for receiving. One hour. one hour for one hour. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. Okay, that's really helpful. Because everyone seems to agree that fiat currency, if I can call it that, in other words, yeah. state-backed, yeah. Uh, exchangeable currency, yeah. or more sometimes exchangeable, state-backed currency anyway, it is at the core of the financial system, the monetary system. What's your view, Nigel, about the problems with that? Because 
on the face of it, it could just think, well, what's the, there is I mean, no no problem with doing any of this sort of stuff as well. Right. But you know, what's the problem? Is the system is the monetary system okay. leading to particular outcomes or behaviours okay. that uh, that we might want to think about? Uh, most MPs still believe that the central bank prints money, um, whereas in fact, ninety-seven percent of the UK money supply is created by private banks in the form of debt. Now. Whether that's problematic or not depends on your point of view, but that's certainly, uh, it's controversial in a number of ways. First, it's controversial because people don't necessarily know that that's how the system works. Um, can you and, just, and I'm, thinking, I'm feeling like the village idiot here, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, right. so apologies. Um, and I know it's a nice village, but anyway. Um, <laughs> can you just explain how, debt, how, it, how creating debt creates currency? Um, well, basically, I mean, the, the, Idiot's you know, guide, please. yeah, I mean, the old bill, ex bill of exchange used to be the way it was done. So a trader issues a bill of exchange and then you then pass it on. Anyone that's ever passed on a check in the old days, you used to be able to you get a check and then you could you could go and spend it somewhere else and pass it on, pass it on. That's how the bill of exchange used to work. Nowadays, though, it's banks that basically produce money. So you go to your bank and you want to borrow money to buy a car. Uh, how do you think that that happens? You know, the bank doesn't then go down into its vault like in Gringotts in Harry Potter and go past a fire-eating dragon or, 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 or the nasty German and, and try to get £25,000 you know, from, from deep under the ground. What the bank does is, is open up the computer and go 25000. That's money created out of where? Out of absolutely nowhere. It's a claim put into circulation. Now, there are ways of regulating well, that. I'm not it? suggesting for a moment that banks can I thought, do whatever I thought, they like. Oh, sorry, sorry, again, this is the, yeah, 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 yeah. apologies. Uh, I thought the idea of the banks was that they had all our savings and all our deposits and right. most of it, lots of cash in there. Yeah. And so we, we've all put our cash in and we'd, you, know, you come along one day and say, I want to borrow some money. And so they essentially take, take a bit of all of our money Right. Say okay, you can have that for yeah. a bit, and here are the terms. And they're kind of continually, right. continually sort of gauging right. you know, how much they've got it, how much loan okay. they've got outstanding, it's how much revenue right. they're generating, what, how much income they've what got. We have so they're not making money; they're just passing it around. Right. Okay. Is what okay. I think they do. Yeah. So you, def you definitely are the village idiot. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> well, we agree respect. about that. Yeah, then. That's yeah, good. Yeah. All due respect. But so, so the way I mean, we have a system, and Izzy will correct me on this from the FT's point of view. But I, th I don't think I'm saying anything controversial because I'm not necessarily criticising this system. I'm just pointing. I mean, the problem is that we don't get it. That we're all actually village idiots. Um, the, 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 we have what's known as a fractional reserve system. So basically, a bank has say a hundred pounds. And it doesn't simply act as an intermediary with that £100. So it's not that you put money into a bank and the bank then lends out the £100 in turn. What it does is lend out several times that £100. So just, just, look, just note down the word fractional reserve banking and look it up. It's a nice wiki site. It will explain the maths behind it. So what that means is that at any one time, the bank has loaned out, given out far more money than it effectively has in its little shoebox. And you know that's creation of money, and, and, and the theory behind that is, is known as endogenous money, which is that money comes from within the economy rather than from some place outside. Now, the, the, the problem with that, uh, according to some groups, like the Positive Money Group, that some of you may have heard of, and if not, look them up, it's a campaign group. The problem with that system, according to that group, is that it's fundamentally unfair that banks effectively, by producing money as debt, uh, put into the economy, if you like, a, 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 an automatic impulse that it has to grow in order to service that debt. Uh, and what that then does is, is all sorts of, you know, has okay. all sorts so, of distorting so, so, effects. So again, to cut a long story short, if you accept that that's what's happening, that yeah. by creating debt, you're creating the requirement yeah. to grow the economy to repay the debt. 
Yeah, yeah, that's so, that's so, the argument from groups like the New so, Economics so, Foundation. So the argument would yeah. be that that drives economic growth, um, or certainly or, doesn't help. You know, it doesn't help the kind of the, the, the continual need for or if you, or, or suddenly you don't grow, you're Greece. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, I think the crucial point here is to understand that there are connections between the way that we produce money and things like environmental economics. That's the important thing. So one of the arguments in favour of local currencies, for example, is that they're environmentally more responsible because they encourage us to keep to keep okay. money so, circulating. So, so is that in and of itself uh, a problem with fiat currencies? Uh, no, it doesn't have to be. I mean, again, the positive money argument is that we should actually re restore money to the centre. We should have a system of currency where the central bank does in fact produce 100% of all money and that banks do actually act as intermediaries. And so we should go only, back to if you only like, loan what they've got. That's right. So we should go back to the village idiots view of money and we should, we should enact that. That's their argument. Now, I'm not taking sides on this necessarily. Um, I'm interested in all these different forms of money and what they represent about the way in which money can contribute to social reform. So I'm interested in positive money. I'm interested in time banking for that reason. So I'm not taking a stance on this, although I do agree with positive money's take on quantitative okay. easing. But that's another issue. Right. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. So, so Isabel, Isabella, what's your take on this? In terms, of, in terms of the way that the economy functions, which view of money is the more helpful? Really, there are two types of money. And one type is backward-looking, and the other is forward-looking. Mm -hmm. And backward-looking money is what we classically would call the coupon gold type scenario. And this is very much focused on, on the system as it is. It's a representation of the assets we have, of all the stuff we, the stock, you know, all the great goodies we, we keep in reserve. Now, the problem with that type of money is that we live in a, in a system, in a universe that, you know, things depreciate. Continuous value has to be put into society to ensure it stays as it is. And coupon money, like, Gold money isn't very good at maintaining that because there's only, you know, it doesn't really incentivize growth. It doesn't incentivize us to do anything but maintain, at best, maintain the system as it is. What, what, why does it not incentivize growth? Why wouldn't we want to use our coupon money? Someone because said, it's this hot potato, like I do something, you do something. There's no, there's no future conditionality associated with that money. Okay. With debt money, this is a future, it's a very hopeful type of money. We, we have, debt is in many ways demonized, but it's because of debt that we have growth. I because agree. if it wasn't for debt, we would never be trusting anyone at their word yeah. that they're gonna build a factory and make life so much better for us by creating spoons or, or like really good spoons or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a stigma to death, but it's debt, but it's also Indeed. a, pro it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a vote of confidence that yeah. someone's going to do something. And that's great when it works. When you perform, it works. The problem is that 
there, are, there are these things called cycles with future-orientated money. Because funnily enough, when you are too good at producing goods, you end up swamping the system with all this value and abundance. And sometimes, because we have this kind of paradoxical view of money, we don't want to expand the money supply as quickly as growth. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you have an imbalance between how many goods and output there is versus the money supply. So what does that do to the money? It creates deflation. What, what, sorry, you know, you've completely lost me. Oh, so, sorry. So, 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 so what, why, just go back, back two or three steps. We say we have this paradoxical attitude to money. We, we've got more goods, but we don't want to increase the money supply. Why don't we want to do that? Because Why there is this you? perception that money itself is valuable, when really we lose sight of the fact that it's the things that money can get which, yeah. are, which are fundamentally valuable. So, so, so but, is, but is that because most of us as individuals, and I guess it would apply to 90%, probably mm. maybe 100% of the people in this room, have got money in the bank, which they need to live on or need to do their own thing with, and it, the value of that money is very important to them. So actually what the, everyone is conditioned for their pounds and their pounds in the bank to whatever you do, maintain the value. Yes. Exactly. That's not the economic but function the of money, big but it's a practical function. Keynesian insight is that money is relative. Just like Einstein had his moment yes. of like, Good. Yeah, it's relative agreed. relativity that matters. Like Keynes was the Einstein of money because he was <laughs> like, it's all about relativity. So it doesn't matter how much money I have in the bank. If the system as a whole is becoming more and more profitable, it pays to have more money, like more coupons, because there's otherwise you get a concentration of wealth. And that's how you end up with the 1% and the 99%. Because if you don't have enough coupons, the coupons flow to the producers. And you need a healthy middle class. You need redistribution of money for it to flow so, in a circular manner. So what do you make of, let's take Bitcoin, <laughs> oh gosh. Well, all right, put it this why, why do we, if, 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 if taking all this as it is, um, why, why do we need alternative forms of currency? Well, you know, I, I think Bitcoin's a very interesting phenomenon. I am so slightly obsessed with it. I'm, I'm also. Can you explain to us first of all how it works? It's a digital form of money which is minted by not a central bank, not by a bank, but by a community of people with comp running computer protocols on their computers. And they agree between them, they make a, like, a cartel-like agreement that we're only going to produce X amount of units of value over time. That creates a predictable flow of money. And they also agree to, you know, some, I mean, if there wasn't originally a dark economy associated with Bitcoin, I don't think it would have uh, ignited the way it has, because there has to be some trade, yeah. you know, so a you value. Mean, by, by dark economy, you mean tra trading in things that you can't trade openly, like drugs or Drugs, yeah, yeah guns exactly, guns, all the sort of vice stuff. Um, that's how Bitcoin evolved. Um, but now people are very interested in it because this is very controversial. Uh, but banks are fundamentally motivated to be in a cartel system because mm -hmm. the cost of producing money is very, very low. So you have to control the supply. And the only way you can control that supply is by agreeing collectively we won't produce too much, right? But the problem with cartels is that there's always an incentive to cheat the system. And how do you police that? Well, we have the, the central bank that polices that. And that's why every night the central bank comes and says, like, we're okay with however much you produce, providing you're making good choices about where you're putting it. Okay, so that's where we're coming from. With Bitcoin, rather than having a central bank check on how much you're producing, 
it is the computer pro protocol checking all the banks collectively. So it's like a vote. Every, you know, every single coupon. Who are the banks in the Bitcoin? Anyone. So yeah. anyone can join. But the, and that was you know, the idealistic um, origins of Bitcoin was that anyone could join and we'd all be part of this verification network ensuring that no more or less money gets produced. But as with all things that are a free lunch to begin with, economies of scale evolved. And now that's not what it is at all. And so we have as many vested interests as, as, as we do in the banking sector. Again, forgive my ignorance. Can, can, if you have a Bitcoin, if you have Bitcoin assets, as it were, can you convert them into fiat currency assets? Well, you can for as long. It's like any commodity. It has a value for as long as people think it has a value. Okay. So it's very volatile because it's not guaranteed by anybody. And it doesn't intrinsically give you a right to any redeem like a redeemable good of any sort. So it has value, but the, eye, the value is in the eye of the beholder, and that's not a very stable type of value. So, Nigel, you talked in your opening about, about plurality of mm -hmm. types of money. Does society need to, take a, to develop a different attitude or approach to money? I mean, you could say, from the point of view of need, I suppose you could say, you know, perhaps we'll have a more resilient economy if we had different sorts of money. But Do you think we would? Um, I think that, that that's a really interesting question, I think, because um, this is the we, can't, we can't all have, we can't all issue our own form of money. That, that's, so, so, you know, how, how much plurality is a good thing? So, you know, how long is a piece of string? I, I, I do think there's a role uh, for time currencies. We haven't talked about local currencies at all. Things like the Brixton pound, which I'm involved in, I'm on their advisory board, the Bristol Pound, I'm researching all of these. They have a different sort of uh, function. What's their purpose? Um, the local currency, the main purpose is, uh, is twofold. First, it's to stimulate local economic development by keeping money circulating locally and not allowing it to go outside. Second, it encourages a sense of community and identity. I happen to think that the, the second function is probably where they're most successful. And, and, are, and, and are their pounds pound pounds that they Yes, keep they are. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all backed by, by sterling. Yeah. Okay. So in Brixton, there's a bank account every every Brixton pound that's circulating there is a corresponding pound sterling and, in bank and can there be more Brixton pounds than pound pounds or is no. it is it it's like only no, they uh, you, lots of people collect Bristol uh, Brixton pounds because they're really cool uh, there's the Ziggy for example the one with David Bowie on I've got that in my office so if they get collectors from way way like from Australia yeah. or wherever wanting a, a pack of Bri Brixton pounds they won't put the corresponding money into an account but otherwise if you're local but, it, but in, in terms will. of what's going around locally it's fully backed it's, it's one fully one. backed same in, Brist uh, in Bristol yeah it's fully backed those are relatively successful they're not going to light fires they're not going to bring the central banks down so in that sense there is no urgency i think a lot of the stimulus uh, i mean local currencies alternative currencies complementary currencies have been around for a long long time uh, the oldest system in Europe, one of the oldest systems is the WIR in Switzerland, which has been going for many, many years. It's a business-to-business -business currency. Uh, it tends to be counter-cyclical. That's been going for a long, long time. That's where businesses you know, resort to things like barter or, or time-based arrangements when money is scarce. Yeah, apologies it's, it's, if, it's if I missed idea. it. If you go back to the bricks and pound for a second. Right. If it's one for one, if, in, if in locally right. it's one for one, as it were, in other words, yeah. it doesn't represent anything else <coughs> in terms of why, its value. Why use it, right? Well, why would you bother? Yeah, why would you bother? Well, lots of people do, um, and they have various reasons. Mostly, it's it's for political reasons, or, or if you like, community reasons. You 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 involve yourself in this because well, there are things you, you, think are things you can thing. do with it that you can't do. With um, pound there are things you can't do with it. I mean, the, in Brixton, the fascinating thing is when they launched the Brixton pound, and some people might remember this. It was five five years ago they launched it to to, to a big chorus. 
And uh, the first thing that happened is that McDonald's wanted to join. And this was a real dilemma, actually, because for some of the Brixton organisers, this would lead to great network effects. You know, if, if McDonald's gets involved, then the currency really will uh, take off. But on the other hand, ideologically, if, if the whole point of having a local currency is to keep money local and, and, and to encourage local economic development and local businesses, then you really don't want something like McDonald's getting involved. So lots of people get involved because they're connected so, so, to the So the critical economy. point is you can't spend it anywhere else. No, you can't. No, but there is a guild of independent currencies, so they're okay. trying to develop a system yeah. where if you have a Bristol pound, you can spend it in Brixton, for example. But it's like exchange controls. Yeah, effectively, yes. Yeah, and so, so there are limits it to it. No, you can't, so there are okay. limits to it. Um, but so, you know, so, in a so plural monetary world, we don't want just one form of okay. money, so there is a role for the Bristol pound, there is a role for sterling. So just on that point, well, in that case, if you had McDonald's in it, and McDonald's started paying wages, let's say, Ah, or elements of wages right. in Brixton powers, and that would be huge, wouldn't it? It, it would be, would yeah, be it would be. Uh, obviously, it would be ideological death um, to, to the Brixton pound and everything it stands for, but on the other hand, it, it would, would also be like the company store. Well. In Bristol, you can pay local taxes in the Bristol pound. You know, so I think there are, there are dilemmas with, with how to run these things. Um, but, you know, I think people mostly are involved because they like the experience. If you've ever used a local currency, if you go to Brixton and you use the Brixton pound, you're fine. Actually, when you do use it in a shop or a cafe or whatever, it sounds pathetic, but you actually have a nicer experience yeah. with money. It's better to hold a Ziggy uh, in your hand yeah. than, than, than a normal £10 note. You, you feel cooler, right? Okay. And, yes, sorry, you, Isabel. I was just going to say the plurality of currencies is really um, interesting. However, it, what comes with that is complexity, and with yes. complexity comes liquidity risk. And yes. um, so, you know, there's, there's that famous quote in Top Gun: you know, "Your ego is writing more checks than your than your body can cash." You know, and that's that's what we were talking <laughs> about here. Is like you can you can hoard all these uh, time units, and then what happens if like those Japanese savers all decide to like redeem the them time. at the same time? And the other the other side of that is complexity and uh, and this idea of loss of freedom because if we're all becoming our own money issuers well some 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 something yes. has to trade yep. uh, to assess your value in in this world yep. and that's probably going to be your personal information and data so plurality is all good but there is possibly a road to kind of digital serfdom okay. if, as well well thank you very much for that your appreciation for the panel please We hope you enjoyed this podcast, brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. So, do you think that we can live without currency? Let us know by tweeting at IAI underscore TV with the hashtag philosophy for our times. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on our podcast, so why not leave us a review on iTunes or a comment on SoundCloud? <laughs>